All right, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to Matthew 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, 12, just one verse today. It's a big one, though. Encompasses a lot. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is starting to wind down the Sermon on the Mount here. He's tra- this is a transition from uh, the main body of the sermon, and we're getting ready to go towards the end of the sermon here. And what he's doing with this one verse is really summing up a whole bunch of what we've been talking about, going all the way back to chapter 5. We're in chapter 7 now. So over the last two chapters, Jesus has been telling us a bunch of things about how we ought to interact with each other. And he sums it up. That's why there's that word so there. That kind of, he's like bringing everything together, saying, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And what do we call this? The golden rule, right? We call this the golden rule. And it's one of those teachings that nobody really has a problem with the golden rule. You know, there's a a lot of things that if you tried to uh, say in a public setting that Jesus has said, you'd get in a, you'd take a lot of heat for. But no one's really going to give you heat for this one. Everybody kind of loves this rule, right? The golden rule can be taught anywhere. But that's a real mistake, I think, for us to just look at the golden rule and to not look at who said it. There was a a great quote by a uh, that I I came across this week. It was by a pastor and a seminary professor. His name was George Arthur Buttrick. And uh, he said, The trouble with our glib use of the golden rule is that we leave out the man who spoke it. I do not want us to do that today. The world, we, we hear about the golden rule all the time, and nobody ever talks about it with Jesus, the man who said it. And I do not want to make that mistake today. We cannot divorce what was said from who said it. <clears throat> now, uh, it's because it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we most clearly see the golden rule lived out. In fact, we see it perfectly lived out in the gospel. When I was younger, my mom enrolled my brother and I in swimming lessons. And I was really scared the first day, like really scared. It was a half-hour lesson. I think I spent 20 minutes just sitting on the side of the pool Finally, I got coaxed into the pool by the instructor. I was like, hey, this is actually kind of fun. Of course, like the first, you know, two weeks just consisted of like holding on to the side and kicking our legs behind us so that we would learn that, you know, swimming is all about kicking. But we didn't really know how to swim yet. We just knew how to do the kicks. Then our next drill that we started a few weeks into this was these bobbing drills where we would hold our breath so that it gave us enough buoyancy where we could float. And I really liked this drill. And so I started doing it while the this instructor was actually teaching us how to swim. I got bored, and so I started doing this bobbing drill, right, all by myself. 
Well, the problem with bobbing is it start, you know, you're not really in control of where you are. And so about the third bob, I look up and I'm, I, I've floated off the wall out into five feet of water and I'm six years old and I'm in trouble. And I realize it. I start to panic in the middle of this pool. And one of the other kids sees me and he, he was a much better swimmer than I was. He swims out. He pushes me towards the wall, swims back himself. I get over there. I had a good laugh, but man, I was scared in that moment. I knew that I was out there and my only hope was for someone to come get me. If you fast forward a few years later, and I'm a much more accomplished swimmer at this point, I'm probably nine years old or so, my brother and I during the summer had a babysitter. And she had taken us to a friend's apartment, and we are out swimming in the pool. And this pool has a real deep end with like a diving board. You know, it's about nine feet down. And my brother, who's only five at this point and doesn't swim very well, is on one of those like chair floaties. And he falls off of it in the deep end. And he's the one now floundering around. And the babysitter goes, David, go help your brother. All right. I, I swam over there as fast as I could because I knew exactly what it was like to be in my brother's situation, to be in water that was way too deep, to not know how to swim, and to know I had to have help. I knew what it was like. And so it was no trouble for me in that instance to apply the golden rule. I knew exactly what I would want if I was in that situation. I would want someone to swim over and get me. And so I swam over there. I pulled my brother over to the side. You've all met him at this point. You know, you know that story had a happy ending. <clears throat> but I want us to realize to start off this morning knowing that we are all that kid in the pool who doesn't know how to swim and who needs help. And we need somebody to jump in and rescue us. And who came down? We spent this whole last month building up to it, right? Jesus. Jesus came down when we could not save ourselves and we needed someone. Jesus comes down in human form, a little baby, and then grows up. He experiences what it is to be tired, what it is to be hungry. He lives a human life and then dies on the cross for our sins that we could never pay for ourselves. We could not rescue ourselves from the rightful judgment of God. Instead, we had to have someone jump in and save us. That is exactly what Jesus did. That is the gospel. The good news, the best news that you or I will ever hear. And here's the thing. We can never, you know, Flip that around. Jesus is never going to need us to rescue Him. We can't possibly pay Him back for that. And yet, He did it anyway. He came down anyway. He fulfilled all of that Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets, all of that. We could never fulfill that on our own. We could never live up to that on our own. We could never live up to the golden rule. We are always going to fall short of it. Jesus comes down and He does it perfectly for us in our place. 
that is the ultimate fulfillment of the golden rule. And it's not the only place we're going to see Jesus do it either. His whole life was Him living this way. When He comes across lonely people, He spends time with them. If you were lonely, you would want someone to you know, spend time with you. When there are crowds around Him who've been listening to Him teaching and they are hungry, what does Jesus do? Jesus feeds them. He heals the sick. Jesus lived this out perfectly. And we have been the beneficiaries of that. Now, that should drive us to live by this golden rule. God has given us far more than we deserve. He treated us exactly how we would want to be treated, right? We would want to be forgiven when we made mistakes. We would want a way to be saved, and God has provided that for us in Jesus Christ. So how can we not respond the same way towards others? The Gospel compels us to follow the golden rule. Now, it also smashes three, what I'm going to call, misuses or misunderstandings of the golden rule. The first one, the primary one, is that if we live by the golden rule, that we'll be saved. We'll be, that will make us right with God if we live by the golden rule. No. The point is we can't do this perfectly. We are not going to live by the golden rule perfectly. We are not always going to treat others how we would want to be treated. We are sinful. We are not perfect. We are going to do the wrong thing. We are going to hurt other people. We're going to ignore other people when they needed help. We are not going to live by this perfectly. But the great news is that Jesus did. And because He did, and because He died on the cross for us, if we have faith in that, then we are saved. We don't have to justify ourselves by the golden rule. So we that gets rid of misuse number one. We cannot justify ourselves by the golden rule. The second misuse of the golden rule, or this one's kind of like a misinterpretation, I would say, is that I'm going to treat others the way they treat me. Sounds similar, kind of, but it gets flipped. All of a sudden now it's a reaction. Instead of being an action, it's a reaction. I'm going to treat others how they treat me. Aren't we all thankful that God didn't do that to us? We should be thankful that God was not that way with us. No, the Gospel moves us beyond that misuse of the golden rule as well. It's not we're going to treat others how they've treated us. It's we are going to treat them how we wish they would treat us. Alright, the final misuse of the golden rule is actually called the silver rule. Which again is similar, but not quite the same. Okay, the, the golden rule again is an action. It's an active thing. The silver, what's known as the silver rule goes like this. It's a negative thing. Do not do anything to someone that you wouldn't want them to do to you. So this is one I got a lot as a kid, right? David, why did you do that to your brother? Would you want him to do that to you? 
Well, no, I wouldn't want him to do that. Oh, well, then don't do it. Okay, that's, kind of, that's part of the golden rule, but that's not all-encompassing of what it is. <clears throat> the problem with the silver rule is that in order to fulfill it, you can just get away with doing nothing, basically. You can isolate yourself. You can pull yourself out of relationship. That way you're like, oh, I'm not hurting them. I'm just not doing anything towards them. But at least I'm not going against their wishes or anything like that. Again, that's not the gospel, though. All right? The gospel is not a story of inaction, right? Of God just pulling back and saying, nope, I'm not getting involved. No, the gospel is a story of action, of Jesus coming down, dying on the cross for us in our place, taking on that judgment. That is a gospel of action. And so we can't live by the silver rule. It's got to be the golden rule. The golden rule is about action. Uh, our actions towards others. And as we've gone through this sermon series, we've had a whole bunch of sermons on our actions towards others. And anybody raise a hand who can name all of the sermons we've gone through? I'd be, I'd be really impressed if you could. If you just off the top of your head, yeah, we hit this, this, yeah, Joe, Joey and I. Right. Anyway, so let me list them off for you. <clears throat> Here we go. Humility towards others, being merciful, being a peacemaker, being salt and light, not being angry or violent, repairing relationships, not lusting, not retaliating, not taking oaths, so we're at 10 there, divorce, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, and not judging one another. That's 14 topics in this sermon series that have to do with how we act towards others, how we treat others. And in the heat of the moment, in a, a tight situation, it might be kind of hard to remember exactly what was said in all of those sermons. And so we have this. This is how Jesus sums this whole section of Scripture up. In whatever we do, we should be doing what we wish others would do for us. So let's talk about some really practical ways that this fleshes out. <clears throat> All right, application number one is that we should be intentionally spending time with people. I want you to think of someone right now who might kind of be on the outside of you know work or the outside of school. Someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of people that they can talk to. You see them all the time. You, I'm sure somebody has come to mind. Make a plan to intentionally talk with them. I've had the last two weeks off from teaching. And I've been able to get out in the community more, you know, down to Dunkin' Donuts a few times and Starbucks and the library and these places. If there's one thing I've noticed, it's that there are many, many, many lonely people out there. People who need someone that they can talk to. I was in the library this week, and I'm, I'm trying to prep for the sermon, so I've got like my commentaries and stuff all laid out over this desk, and I've been typing away, and this lady has walked by me a couple of times and notices what I'm doing, 
And so she's like, oh, you're reading a commentary on Matthew. I said, yeah, so I tell her what I'm preaching on. And I'm like, man, I, I really want to like focus on my sermon here, you know? Like I want I want to get this done. And uh <clears throat> but she's kind of hanging around and I'm like, wait a minute, like here I am preaching about the golden rule, wishing that you know, what what I wish others would do to me, I should do to them, right? And it it's really clear that this lady wants someone to talk to her. So I stop. And I just start talking to her. And it doesn't take long before a whole bunch of stuff comes out that she really needed to talk to someone, anyone, about. She was an older woman, probably about my mom's age. She has five grown children of her own who are all out of the house and don't talk to her a whole bunch. And she knows why. She said, I was a terrible mother to them. I was, I was you know, constantly on drugs or drunk. And I know why they don't want to talk to me. But as we started talking, she's from Lawrence originally. She lives in Lynn now. And she's been going to a really good church there uh, for a while now. And she wants more than anything else for her five kids to have faith in Jesus. And I'm not kidding you. This is like a 10-minute max conversation I have with this woman. And I saw similar situations play out at Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. There are just people all around. They need someone to listen to them. And if we were in their shoes, if we were lonely and we needed someone to listen to us, what would we want those people to do? We would want them to stop what they were doing, take five, ten minutes, have a meaningful conversation. That was what Jesus did. We see him do it all throughout Scripture. The woman at the well, tax collectors, the just the hated of the hated, the sick, the outcasts. Jesus spent time talking with them. We should be doing the same because if we were in their situation, we would want someone to do that for us. All right. Secondly, if you know someone who needs help and you're able to help them, then do it. Help them. Help them. As you might imagine, I watch a lot of kids' movies, right? I have a bunch of little girls. So I'm watching a lot of kids' movies when they want to watch a movie together. <clears throat> One of my favorites that we've watched together is Robots. I don't know how many of you have seen Robots. But I love Robots. <clears throat> anyway, uh, the the main character... He wants to be an inventor, and his big hero is an inventor, and his hero's motto is see a need, fill a need. And so this robot through the story, that's the motto he lives his life by, see a need, fill a need. He's surrounded by all of these old robots who are outdated and the old model and are just falling apart, and his plans to be a big inventor didn't quite work out the way he thought they would, and he says, see a need, fill a need. So he starts repairing all these other robots. What a great way, I think, to look uh, at a part of the golden rule. See a need, fill a need. Because when we're in need, we want someone more than anything else to help us fill that need, whatever that need might be. We moved two months back. We have a lot of stuff. I needed help. A bunch of people from this church showed up to help move. 
Thank you guys, by the way. I know I've said it before, but thank you guys very much. That meant a lot. We've needed babysitting. A bunch of you guys have babysat for us. When we had those babies, you guys have brought us meals and diapers and all sorts of things. That is a wonderful thing to do. That's how a church should be. When we see a need, we fill a need. Why? Because that's what we would want done for us. And our greatest need of all, our need for salvation, has been met in the work of Jesus Christ. One last point I want to hit is that we should share the Gospel with people. We should be sharing it with everybody. We are all in here right now because somebody, a friend, a parent, a brother, a sister, a pastor, somebody shared the Gospel of Jesus with us. That's why we are in here. And if we didn't know that, wouldn't we want somebody to tell us the Gospel? Wouldn't we want them to share the best news ever with us? Of course we would. So to really live this out, we need to be doing this. We need to be sharing the Gospel with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. We should be sharing the Gospel because if we were lost, if we were still in our sins, we would want somebody to do the same for us. We would want them to share the Gospel. Restoration Rep. Let the Gospel... God treating us not as we deserved, but much better than we deserved by sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Let that Gospel, let that compel you to live by the golden rule. Whatever we wish others would do to us, let's do that to them.